our scripture passage today is the entire chapter of John 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, and he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, It is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Ron, Ron pointed out uh, the big week that it is for John and Melissa Simberger. It really is. And their assessment on Thursday is it's a taxing day. Um, it's the church planting world's equivalent of like a three-letter agency waterboarding you for the day and extracting you know, personal information. It's a, it'll be an exhausting day for them. Uh, but we're here, uh, we're their biggest fans and supporters. They're not going to fail. They're, they're going to succeed in the assessment. So the, assess- the assessment's not really intended to drive them into the ground. It's intended to be a, a soul-searching experience, but one that ends with affirmation and encouragement. Um, but speaking of Simbergers and their week, as Ron mentioned, our next GTO cohort, cohort is on Tuesday. And if you're new to our family, GTO is our church planting initiative for the island of Okinawa, Gospel to Okinawa, in which we partner with churches that already exist in Okinawa to encourage them and equip them and to collaborate with them for the purpose of planting churches among the Okinawan people. So when John and Melissa plant, their goal is not to primarily plant another English-speaking church in Okinawa, uh, which we we would benefit from more of those, but their goal is to plant among the Okinawan people, uh, by, with, and for the Okinawan people. But I say all that to say I want to just acknowledge the presence of uh, Gary and Lois Watanabe. Gary and Lois have been intimately involved in our GTO family from the get-go. They live and serve in Nagoya, which if you have not visited yet, is mm, top three for chicken wings in Japan. (laughs) So uh, you got to go for that reason alone. But Gary serves at Christ Bible Institute, it's a seminary training center, Joy of Japan training center for church planting. Um, but man, you, you guys have been coming down for years now, and Gary has been our lead instructor a number of times. So they're here with us, and uh, Gary and Lois, I just wanted to give you guys a, a warm welcome. Uh, Gary was actually born here and grew up uh, down further south, right? Just above Naha. Uh, you remember Gate 2 Street from a long time ago, but it was still Gate 2 Street, right? And you should hear some of his stories of growing up, playing as a young boy in the jungles and just stuff that they would do and things they would encounter. And uh, anyway, Gary and Lois, really good to have you guys with us and appreciate your investment in our GTO family. Thank you. Okay. I think the only other important thing I need to say before we begin, uh, this really is important, before just a few moments ago, a member of our family who not, didn't have orders to Minot, is it North Dakota? North, who's actually gotten orders to Minot? Nobody in the room? Look at how much God loves you. Look at that, <laughs> look at that. No, but Dan, where'd you go, Dan? Uh, just say it out loud. What are, what are they getting right now? 30 inches of snow. 30 inches of snow. No, we don't moan that. That is... So, <laughs> Worthy of celebration. If, if I could leave right now, and I would, I would walk out before the sermon if I was guaranteed to be in Minot for the 30 inches of snow. You can catch me later. But anyway, man, that made me immediately and sinfully jealous. So, but that's worthy of our celebration this morning. 30 inches of snow, guys. 
It's taller than some of your kids. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Let's do work. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, we want to pause and remember that there are other expressions of your family gathering on this island. And uh, I think first of Josh, my friend Josh, just down the road at Zion. Um, and I, as he is still processing and mourning the loss of his father, and we, we celebrate uh, Bishop James Whitaker's life. And he was a pioneer church planter here decades ago in planting Zion and then eventually the, the Christian school there. Uh, just a faithful, faithful, humble man uh, with a reputation of pouring himself out for the good of people who get orders here and who live here indigenously. So we pray for Josh and for his Zion family as they gather. Uh, we think also of Alex Sartor and the Calvary Cadena family. And uh, we pray that you would be present in power with them this morning. And further north, we think also another young pastor, not many young pastors on our island, but a, another young one, Andrew Neely, uh, and his work with Calvary Yomitan. And we pray that you would be present uh, in gentleness and power with them as well. Father, for all of them and for us and for other expressions of your family in Okinawa, we pray, uh, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives today. We pray that you would give us today the nourishment that our souls need from your voice, from your word. We pray that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. You know our feet are we're just so quick to run away from you and toward our temptation. We pray that you would incline our hearts to forgive those who trespass against us in the same way that you have generously forgiven us. And Father, remind us this morning that it's your kingdom and your power and your glory. So we don't, have to, we don't have to be anxious about building our own personal kingdom, certainly not about building a brand uh, for this church. Um, deliver us from that temptation. Um, it's your power, so we don't need to fake it projecting power. We can just be us the way that you created us to be, dependent upon you. And it's your glory, so we don't have to waste our lives pursuing our own glory. Rather, we can, we can live by your design to live for your fame and for our joy. And we pray that you would accomplish these things in our lives, for the Zion family, Calvary, Kadena, Calvary, Ginawan, and for the others of your families here. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we're almost, uh, you know, the, the place in, a, in a, like a 400 meter or just a sprint relay where the runner begins to lean across the finish line. You know that moment? Like 5% five of, five of, of you have probably experienced that moment. The rest of us have watched. But we're about to do that with the book of John. We're on the last lap. We're really, we've come around the final turn and we're about to, to lean across the finish line. Today we'll have John chapter 20. Next week, John chapter 21. And if you turn the page, you got a blank page right there. That's it. We're all done. Uh, it's been a great, great journey and um, long enough that we are all very familiar with John's theme. What is it? Okay. And any one of you could get up here and lead us. I'm confident through any one of these chapters, we're very familiar with John's writing uh, by now. Jesus is life. I like to group these final two chapters in kind of its own little mini-series, if you will, um, and if I had to give it a name, I would just call it Resurrection Reversals. 
or however you want to put those two words together in a sentence. Resurrection means reversal, okay? Uh, these two chapters fit really well together, and some of you who are really sensitive to the liturgical calendar, which I appreciate, you're like, dude, it's Palm Sunday. Last week, Ethan preached about the crucifixion. You're a week ahead, John, and you're killing me. Um, man, John just gives so much attention to the resurrection and all of its implications in the final two chapters. And so even though, yes, I, I understand it's Palm Sunday and we're, we're kind of running a little bit ahead, um, I want us as a family to give due attention to the implications of the resurrection. And so we'll, we'll do that beginning today. So resurrection reversals. And if I had to title the sermon for today, John chapter 20, it would be, and you'll understand why in a few moments, the title is eight days later, okay? Eight days later. And then if I had to title next week's, it's titled, uh, and this may ring some bells for you if you're here two weeks ago, Charcoal Fire. Remember when Ron preached from John 18? And where did Peter deny Jesus? Right? So you'll remember that scene. And in John chapter 21, John's very descriptive. He says it's, it's a second charcoal fire. And at that fire where Peter had previously denied Jesus, Jesus very gently restores him and affirms him. It's beautiful. Okay, so that'll be next week. So eight days later, resurrection reversal. Guys, at its core, the resurrection is about reversal, right? So fundamentally, death to life. But we could tease that theme out. It's, it begins with death to life, but it's much bigger than just death to life. And you could press with a number of themes, darkness to light, injustice to justice, wrath to mercy, hopelessness to hope, despair to joy, sorrow to gladness. I mean, just, it's, it's complete reversal in every sense of the word. But what we're going to see is that in this chapter with, with, Peter and John, with Mary, with all the disciples, with Thomas especially, there is a real slowness about embracing the reversal of the resurrection. Now, intellectually, you're, you're here this morning, so probably most of you, though not all of you, and if you don't yet affirm the resurrection of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. Okay? I'm so, so glad that you're here with us. For those of you that already affirm or believe the resurrection, what we have to know is intellectual assent is not belief in its fullest form. I mean, Satan affirms Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead, so um, you're not even really necessarily good company if you're just baseline kind of affirming the resurrection, right? Belief would shape a life. So yes, intellectual assent's there, but it's much bigger than that. It shapes a life. Here's the guys, though, that life-shaping embracing of resurrection reversals is so, so slow for every one of us. And so the question then becomes, how does Jesus respond to us in our moments of unbelief when we may still give, it's Easter, we give intellectual assent to the resurrection, but quite frankly, it just does not shape our lives in a meaningful way. How does Jesus respond? What is his posture towards us? The big idea for this morning and what I want to show to you from the text is this. The resurrected Jesus is present and patient in my unbelief. Okay, just a simple sentence, but a truth that you probably need rehearsed this week just as much as my heart does. In your moments of unbelief, when you are not embracing the resurrection or what it would be reversing in your life, 
in those moments, Jesus is present and patient with you in your unbelief, guys. So we'll break the text down three ways this morning, simply because there are kind of three scenes in this, te- in this chapter. If it were an episode um, 45 minutes long, it would just be split ac- across three scenes. The first one is the early morning, first day of the week. The second scene unfolds in the evening, first day of the week. And then the last piece of the chapter, it, it brings us into the third and final scene. It says eight days later. Okay, So first, first scene, if you're taking notes, morning in the early morning. Secondly, late night fear and locked doors. And then the third and final scene for this chapter, eight days later. And then these two words, which are not a compliment and not an affirmation of the disciples' faith, they were inside again. And I want to show you how we spent most of our lives eight days later inside again. John chapter 20. Look at this, verses 1 and 2. We'll meet a couple characters. Uh, this is Mary, Mary Magdalene, so not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was one of Jesus' first, earliest, and closest disciples. One of if you do the work and read the history, a number of women, if you grew up with flannel graph, you probably only thought Jesus had male disciples, but outside of the flannel graph world, he probably had more women disciples following along, guys, honestly, uh, than he did men. So we know the 12, you know their names, but there were, I'm sure, uh, just in a, a general reading of the text, there were a lot of women disciples in that, in that first generation. So ladies, if you grew up with flannel graph, be encouraged, okay? There should be a whole lot more. There should be twice as many female flannel graph characters. And for those of you under 20, you're like, flannel, what, what is he even talking about? He's so old. It's not a shirt. Um, I'll explain it later. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, she ran. Uh, two key features that kind of frame the entire uh, first scene. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little insecure actually standing up to preach after like following Ethan and Ron, two men who are clearly intellectually gifted, writers and communicators, definitely at home in like literary stuff. And did you, in both sermons, did you pick up on this? Ron introduced, like he basically taught an English class. He's like, here are about 10 literary tools and here's how John uses them. And then Ethan did the same thing with his, man, with his education and his intellectual ability. He gets up. So I hate to break it to you guys, but today we're going back to my GED ASVAB waiver <laughs> trailer park roots, baby. But listen, I got literary tools too. And I'm going to introduce, it's, it's something I like to call a word. It's a word, okay? <laughs> But let me show you guys, like we joke, but here. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. So we already know it's early, it's morning. John felt the need to say while it was still dark. So he's not just describing the time of day. He's giving, he wants the chapter to open in the dark. You don't just read this one, you feel it. It's dark outside. But it's not just dark outside, it's dark in the world because this is a morning without Jesus. No Jesus. We the assumption in he's, is he's dead in the grave. And dark is not the only feature John wants us to feel. Uh, I actually love, this is not inspired, but just the way my English happens to be on the column. At the very bottom of the column in verse 2, 
it says, so she ran. And then my text goes over to the next page. So it's like, that's where it stops. And that's good because that's the next thing we need to feel. It's, it's dark and Mary's running. Most of your nightmares are like that. It's dark and you're running and you can't get away. That's how Mary feels, guys. You need to feel that. It's dark and she's running. She's running because she cannot find Jesus' body, and so uh, fear is compelling her to run. And the fear is, well, first of all, she is believing that he's dead. That's what she feels. And that's affirmed for her, confirmed for her, because not only is he dead, but she believes that the authorities have stolen his body, maybe because it was such a politically charged environment, but he's gone. She can't even care for his body in death and mourn for him appropriately. So she runs. The text tells us she runs back to Peter and John. And then as soon as we pick up with Peter and John, what are they doing? Verse 4, both of them were running together. What does that tell us? They share in Mary's fear. They are also afraid, believing that Jesus is in fact still dead and now his body is missing. So we have dark and running. And then a little humor, because John, man, just like, you know the boys, like the first time when this, when they got the advanced copy from the publisher and they're reading this chapter and they're like, what's the deal, John? Look at verse 4, both of them were running together, but this is John's way of referring to himself. The other disciple outran, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Like, we don't even need that detail. And then, well, there's another piece that's a little far. I'll show you later, but like, there you go. There are the guys, right? That's what the lady disciples had to put up with, with the boys who were in Jesus' ragtag band. So they're running, right? They run. And we'll come back to their encounter with the tomb here in a moment, but I want to kind of show you the next word that we need to feel. Uh, verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As there's the third weighty sense of this chapter. John's framing it up for us. It's dark, we're running, and we are weeping. So there's your nightmare right there, okay? And guys, if we're going to talk about resurrection reversals, what you have to know is John is describing a morning with a dead Jesus, a morning where Jesus is still presumed to be in the grave. And what we need to understand is if you live a life apart from Jesus, your life at the end, if not now, will be framed up by the same three words that he used to frame up Mary's morning, dark, running, and weeping, sorrow. It's interesting if you press kind of the, um, into Revelation and some of the writers that would introduce us to the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. Common language uh, to describe the day of the Lord when those who have not repented and believed the gospel encounter the judgment of a holy God. It's very often described as a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth, distress. You gnash your teeth. Some of you grind your teeth when you sleep, right? Stress, anxiety, sorrow, anger, resentment, heaviness. Guys, John is framing up for us an existence without Jesus. Running, darkness, and weeping. So how does Jesus respond in moments of unbelief. And I say unbelief not to pick on Mary and not to pick on Peter, of John, Peter and John. We would have responded exactly the same way. We do respond exactly the same way. 
So the question's not really about Peter, John, and Mary. The question is really, how does Jesus respond to his people when this is how they respond to him? Now let's look first at, at the guys. Uh, we read, and uh, I'll begin in verse 5. Some of this text will be on the screen for you. Stooping to look in, he, that's Peter, because he... Re- um, Peter shows up second, but true to Peter's character, he presses into the grave first, right? Peter goes first. And stooping to look in, he sees something. He sees the linen claws lying there. I'm sorry, verse 6. That's John, and then 6 is Peter. Peter came right afterwards. So John has already seen the claws, and Peter comes. He goes in first, and he sees the linen claws lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not randomly lying there, like, not like the body had been hastily moved, but... Um, folded up neatly in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, that's John, and here it is. He has to introduce it again. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, uh, also went in. And what does it say? He saw and he believed. Now now look at verse 9. As yet, they did not understand the scripture that Jesus would rise from the dead. Three years with Jesus, guys. Three years going to the to worship gatherings every weekend to hear the prophets read aloud and the law read aloud. Three years of having Jesus interpret and teach and show them how all of the prophets in the Old Testament point to him. Even some explicit comments about seeing Jesus again after death, but as yet they did not understand. They weren't believing. But Jesus is not distant. Notice, they don't yet experience the resurrected Christ, but they experience a gift that he has left behind for them. Jesus knows exactly what Peter and John need to see in order to believe. So this is, though they have not yet seen the resurrected Jesus, this is their first encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And that's what they needed. Because notice this. As yet, they did not understand the scripture. How many times had the scripture been explained to them? Countless. Can I just ask you a question, especially for those of you who have grown up in church? How many times have the scriptures about the resurrection been explained to you? And how, like Peter and John, are we? Slow to believe. Not living a life shaped by the resurrection. And what's the good news in in, in this narrative for us about Jesus? Jesus gives them exactly what they need to see so that they can believe. And they don't need another explanation. They need an experience or an encounter with a resurrected Jesus. Guys, you don't need more books. You don't need more explanations. I will not explain you into a resurrection-shaped life this morning. You need an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. That's what will shape your life by the resurrection. And that's what Jesus gives. He is present and patient in our unbelief. Guys, he knew what Peter and John need and he gave it to them. And I love verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Short sentence. Guys, that is the desire in every one of your hearts. And by home, I don't mean, Dan, Minot, North Dakota, and I don't mean off of Okinawa. I mean, your heart knows, is what Ecclesiastes tells us, that there, there is eternity woven into your DNA. You know you exist for more. And deep down, there is a God, and you are far from home in your rebellion. 
Fam, the only way back home to the God who created you is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Verse 11, Mary now, she needs something different than Peter and John. She stands, she's weeping outside the tomb. Again, some of this text will be on the screen for you, but let me give you a little bit more. She weeps. She looks in. There are two angels sitting there. Uh, they ask her a question, woman, why are you, why are you weeping? She says to them, well, they, <laughs> they've taken away Jesus' body. I don't know where they've, they've laid him. Having says that, said this, she turns around and she sees Jesus standing, but she doesn't know that it was Jesus. Some of us tried to read some mystery into that. Like, hmm, I wonder why she doesn't recognize what's, what's up with Jesus. Maybe there's uh, some subtle differences in his body post-resurrection. I think just going with the narrative, what is she doing right now? How well do you see when you're weeping? I mean, and they're in a garden, and it's, the sun's just rising, right? So it's a little dark. Her eyes are filled with tears, and there's probably some distance between them, right? So she, she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not tracking that it's Jesus. And Jesus says to her, woman, uh, why, why, why are you weeping? Who are, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you took him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will, I will, I will come and get him and I will, I will take him away and care for his body. Jesus said to her, what does he say? What does he say? He just calls her by name and speaks in a voice that's very familiar to Mary's heart. And guys, you don't need the resurrected Jesus explained to you one more time. You need an with the resurrected Christ. He gave the men what they needed to see. Peter and John were able to see with their eyes what helped them cross that, that line of, of believing and embracing the resurrection. And Jesus simply spoke Mary's name, and that's what her heart needed. Mary, and she turns and says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, just, just a a term of endearment, I'm, I'm sure it means teacher, but I'm sure she was just overcome and so glad to see Jesus. And Jesus says, look, you, you can't, I'm not here for good. You can't hang on to me. I'm going to send you back to everybody. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them that I'm risen and that I'm going to ascend to the Father. But guys, in this first opening scene, we see two different expressions of unbelief or a slowness to believe. And where is Jesus? He is present and he is patient and he's gentle, but he's also personal. He gave Peter and John what they needed. He gave Mary what she needed, and he's powerful. The gift that the resurrected Jesus gave through his presence is exactly what they needed so that they could believe, and that is what Jesus does for us. So let me ask you, where in your life is it dark right now apart from Jesus? Where in your life are you running right now and where in your life is a weeping or a mourning not receiving the hope that it needs from the resurrection of Jesus? And you may be despairing because you think, man, I'm running a lot. It's dark a lot, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm weeping a lot. How Jesus must be very disappointed in me with my weak faith. The Father is probably almost done with me. All the while, Jesus is present and patient in your unbelief, waiting to work personally and powerfully on your behalf. And now we move to scene two. It's the evening of that same day. And notice how the verse starts out. The first day of the week, the doors what? Being locked. Like probably 30 to 40 
disciples gathered in a home, what is motivating them to lock doors? The very same thing that motivated Mary and Peter and John to run, fear. What Jesus does next is beautiful, guys, because it reminds us that your locks and their locks are illusions. They are locks, uh, at least figuratively, um, though sometimes literally, are symbolic of our unbelief because they become an attempt to control or to protect or to preserve, right? So uh, Jesus shows up and shows them that their locks, the symptom of their unbelief, your locks, are an illusion at control. He just, he just shows up. Locked doors are nothing to Jesus. Jesus came, he stands among them, and he says to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. So again, John is giving us contrast or reversals in the resurrection. The reversal in this scene, scene two, they're behind locked doors. Fear, control, um, hiding away, living in the shadows. Jesus shows up. Here's the reversal. Nope, your locks are an illusion. Now let me, in place of your fear, let me give you peace. And in place of your fear and your sorrow, let me give you gladness. Those are reversals accomplished by the resurrection in our lives. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Um, that, that's not kind of the main point of where we're going this morning, but that's a pretty significant statement. So let me, let me uh, just briefly explain it as I understand it, uh, because there's a lot of confusion around that. Remember, Jesus is addressing a room full of people. So this is not an estate, a statement just for the apostles. There's not some special apostolic authority where only the 12 apostles have authority to pronounce forgiveness of sins. He is saying this. So listen, guys, the men and the women in this room have received the same authority from Jesus to declare this about sin. It's meant to be a general dec declaration of what, all, what has already taken place in heaven and now declared to be true on earth. So let me just give you two very brief examples, and then I'll move on. We will make this declaration categorically this morning. When you come forward and receive communion, we will affirm the forgiveness of sins in the belief of Jesus and the repentance of your rebellion. We will state that publicly over you as you receive communion. So we are simply declaring on earth what, is already, what has already been accomplished and has been declared to be true in heaven. In the same way that we would say, if you have not yet repented of your sin, if you have not yet run to Jesus, uh, forgiveness from the Father is not yours to receive, okay? We also do this personally, and we have the authority to do this personally in our conversations with each other. Gently, not as jerks, gently, we have the authority to speak into a person's life and to Share the gospel with them to say, if you run to Jesus and repent of your sin, forgiveness is yours. But in the absence of that repentance, any illusion of forgiveness that you think you have is not true. It's, you, it's not something that you have. So here we are in the upper room, and here's the key that you need to see. Oh, what I want to show you, verse 24, Thomas is gone, right? Now Thomas, one of the 12, he's, he's not with them. So he comes back. And everybody explains to him what, it, what happens, and what does he say? Verse 25, unless I see, 
for myself in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas unfairly earned the reputation of doubting Thomas. Well, congratulations. That's your, that's my, welcome to the club. It's just he has to, for all of history, he has to bear that nickname for every one of us. It's not really fair. But someday, Jesus returns. This won't be done out of anger or to shame us, but in kindness and mercy, maybe, maybe even just for Thomas's sake, I bet you there will be a day where all is made known, and Tom, it'll be the moment will be for Thomas, and we will all be there, and Jesus will point to all of us and say, sorry, man, like you, 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 the, 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 all your brothers and sisters are just like you, but this, like, you're the one, you, you, you said it out loud, right? You, you said it out loud, you took the, but guys, we're, we're Thomas, we are Thomas. You might not feel comfortable saying it out loud right now, but every one of us. Maybe about the resurrection, but here's an example. You want to talk about a resurrection-shaped life? Let's just think for a moment about a psalm that's at least generally familiar for all of us, Psalm 23, walking through a valley of the shadow of death. And what's, what's kind of the first line? Like, I, won't, I won't fear any evil. I will not believe that. I'm afraid you're, you're with me and you comfort me. No, I'm not comforted. Uh, you will provide for me in the valley. No, I, I don't believe that you are actually providing for me in the valley. You're with me. No, I don't, I don't think you're with me. Jesus says, I will walk with you and I will bring you out at the other end of this valley. And we disbelieve that. We, our lives become defined by the valley. Fear instead of faith, running after whatever it is that we think our hearts need rather than trusting Jesus to give us the provision for what we need. Guys, we're Thomas. And every time we step into a valley that we could call the valley of the shadow of death, uh, we have plenty of reminders that we are just like Thomas. And we say these words, I will never believe. And so we're ushered into the third and final scene. And I, I think the third and final scene exists primarily for Thomas's good. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So I told you that was not a favorable statement, guys. So you've already picked up on it in the narrative. To be inside behind locked doors is the opposite of the faith that Jesus was calling them to. They didn't have any confidence in the resurrected Christ. All their confidence was in their locks and living in the shadows. And the gospel calls us to away from that fear and away from the shadows to press out to dangerous and risky places because we trust the resurrected Jesus and his goodness and his power more than we fear any enemy or any risk or any danger. So being inside again eight days later is an indictment on their slowness to believe or their lack of faith. Thomas was with them. There's the key that John wants us to see. This is Thomas's moment. that statement again, although the doors were locked, right? And they're still locking doors, just like us. Jesus came and stood among them and said, so there it is again, the greeting, not shame, 
When you are afraid and you lock doors in your soul, Jesus doesn't show up with guilt and shame. He shows up with gentleness and grace and kindness. And he looks you in the eye, says, you're behind a locked door again, aren't you? Well, let me give you more of my peace. Have some peace. Peace be with you. And then he looks, you know, he was probably already, I think he was already looking in Thomas's eyes when he said that. I think that statement, he'd already said it to everybody else. I think he says it for Thomas now. But then he says specifically to Thomas, verse 27, here's what you asked for, son. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your, put your fingers in the, hail, in, the, in the holes created by the nails that pierce my skin. Put out your hand. Place it on my side. Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. So where is Jesus in your unbelief? He's present, and he's patient, and he's gentle, and he gives you what you need. How insane is it that the resurrected Jesus, the creator of the universe, who wasn't present for the earlier conversation, shows up and gives? This is a pretty high demand. Like, we would, we would treat, like if we were in a conversation with somebody, we would probably say, how dare you ask God to show himself to you in this way? Jesus could have showed up and said, Thomas, how dare you? You have shown yourself unworthy to be in my family. Go join Judas. Thomas actually, or Jesus actually shows up and gives him exactly what he needs in a gentle and affirming way. And then he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas believes. And look at what Jesus says to him. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a word there for us this morning because some of you are in here and you are holding out. Maybe like Mary, you to hear something. Like Peter and John, you need to see something. And like Thomas, man, you really need to see something. Well, you can keep holding out. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is present with you in your unbelief with patience and with pursuit and persistence, and it'll be personal. However, Jesus just said as clearly as he could, um, and blessed we can just very simply understand as happy, happier, you will be happier if you drop the demands and believe in the resurrected Jesus. You will be happier now, and the narrative of the resurrection reversals will begin to rewrite in the story of your life. Now, rather than five years from now, drop to demands. Believe in the resurrected Jesus now. So where are we, family? I know where we are because John's already told us. Here's where we're at. Eight days later, inside again, behind locked doors. So my question to you is, actually, that would just be a really good way to start every journal entry in your diary, wouldn't it? You know, I was thinking about this this morning. So many of us struggle to pray, but some of you journal so well. So here's how you help yourself with prayer. Start, stop writing, dear diary, and just start writing, dear dad. Now you're praying, Okay. Um, maybe every journal, journal article should begin this way with a date or whatever, but eight days later, inside again, dear dad. Guys, that's like the storyline of our lives. Eight days later, inside again, so slow to believe and live a life shaped by the resurrection and all the reversals that the resurrected Jesus writes into our narrative. So how about this morning, rather than pretending it's not eight days later inside again for us with locked doors, let's as a family agree 
that this is where we are and encourage each other and be encouraged that when it is once again, eight days later, behind locked doors, where is Jesus? He's present and he's patient and he's persistent. He's personal and he's powerful. His presence will overcome our unbelief. So family, maybe of reflection before uh, Grant and then Ron comes and leads us in response. Let's have a moment of silence where we, like Peter and John and Mary and Thomas, can see ourselves, see our slowness to believe, see that we have intellectual ascent of the resurrection, but that there are so many areas of our lives right now in this moment that are just quite frankly not shaped by Jesus' resurrection and the hope that he would give And let's as a family confess, Dad, it's eight days later, and I'm inside again. Now, I don't know where your inside is. You need to name that with your father. But you have a lock on your soul somewhere. You are inside again somewhere. You have demands of God somewhere. Happy you would be if you dropped those demands this morning. But Jesus is there with us. He's present in power. He's patient. He's personal. He's gentle with us. So let's confess, and in confessing, Jesus promises he gives mercy. He gives kindness. He'll be there and he'll say peace to you. So let's, let's, let's share that moment together.